0: A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum. To steal a line-out, make a break, and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend. For one team to become champion.
1: And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide and he finds a winger! Oederman! He's faster than a bald man's haircut! Oederman and he gets a try! What a heartbreaker!
0: Hey, folks, and welcome to MLR Kickoff. We have an absolute bumper show for you today. The commissioner, the big dog, George Killebrew. He's going to stop by a little later to sit down with our very own Professor Pete Steinberg. If there's one man I love more than George Killebrew, it's Brad Tucker, the Seattle Seawolf. He'll join us in studio as well a little later. And then the professor, as always. You've gone attack, you've gone defense. Now we're going deep into the transition. The professor's lab, is gonna pull back the curtain and make the most confusing part of rugby less confusing. Pete, speaking of transitions, let's talk a little bit of your life right now. Different <laughs> week, different hotel room, same hotel. We're trying to figure out if you're back yeah. Uh, back
1: Chicago. in Chicago,
0: Dan. Back there in it Chicago,
1: is. same hotel. Different room, um, as you'll see, talk to the commissioner from the wonderful United Club in O'Hare which, uh, um, in the B concourse. So thanks to the United Club and their great internet. But yeah, on on the road again. But Dan, like as a Kansas City native, mm-hmm. how are you feeling today? You're feeling pretty good after e- the exhausted.
0: Uh, football win? Exhausted. I love the uh, – and sorry, to, I know our commissioner's in Dallas and not to offend George, but I love the stat that came out that – uh, Patrick Mahomes was able to drive pretty much the length of the field, kick a field goal to tie it in 13 seconds, where Dak Prescott took 14 seconds to run 25 yards and then not spike the ball to have a shot to win the game. But Sorry, Cowboys fans, next year. There's always next year. The Chiefs, though, we, they stay alive. Exciting stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, um, you know, I don't watch a lot of football. I used to watch a lot, just don't have time now. But, you know, it's a playoff game, so I'm watching it. And, you know, great game, comes down, you know, Buffalo score. They go up 13 seconds to go. I'm like, this game's over. Time to go up and put the kids down. Go up, give Penelope the story, you know, tell her the story, get her down, come down. And as I come down, I see the Chiefs celebrating. And I'm like, what happened? (laughs) Like, how could the Chiefs be celebrating? So I probably missed, like, the most – like, I – like they said, like the last minute, like the most exciting last minute of NFL playoff history. I saw the first forty-seven seconds of it, but not the last thirteen seconds, and missed the overtime. So All right. you know, Penelope will hear that story for years.
0: Listen, we're not we're not the NFL kickoff, but uh, we'll give it a little time. It is the, the the biggest sport in this market. But Josh Allen was the best quarterback on the field on Sunday night, and I felt bad for Buffalo and Josh Allen and the Bills fans. Uh, but you know the final score is the final score, and the Chiefs continue on. And uh, yeah, let, let's hope that we can have a weekend like that in Major League Rugby to kick off in a few weeks, Pete.
1: Yeah, and let's let's take it back to rugby and give a shout out to um, Emily Bidewell, who, in her first tournament as the US Women's Sevens head coach, um, managed to pull off the win in Malaga. Had a um, and some great performances in that final against Russia was uh, a, a really great great performance so lots of lots of good stuff happening over there with the uh, women sevens and it's great to have a women head coach on the circuit
0: now would she be on your coaching tree she would be on my coaching tree yeah go, she would be on my that. coaching tree another yeah. branch another branch in the steinberg tree um, it's em- quite has, cool.
1: Em- yeah emily has this great story where i secretly made her vice captain of the eagles um, she claims I I didn't tell anyone else. I can't remember if I told anyone or else, but I just started treating her like the vice captain. So she was the uh, she was a, a you know a wonderful center and a great player. Made of the vice captain, didn't tell anyone, but started treating her as such. And uh, um, she never told me at the time. She told me a few years later, I think once once she had retired. But um, that's a um, that's a funny story to tell about a coach. So she's got a good one on me.
0: Yeah, there you go. Good stuff. And then they're off to Spain.
1: Now, right? Well, well, yeah. So, so in um, staying in Spain, Seville. Um, sorry, they're so, headed to Seville. Yeah, so, yeah, they're off to Seville. So they're in Malaga, um, uh, off off to Seville. You know, lots of issues for both the men and the women. Um, it, women's tournaments in terms of COVID. So Fiji aren't there, New Zealand aren't there, but um, still a great showing for the for the US women. And the US men showed a lot of potential as well. Maybe didn't put it together, but a lot of a lot more turnover on the men's side. In fact, we're going to see a lot of those. Um, U.S. Men's Olympians in MLR this coming year. So that's one of the really exciting things. Yeah, to that this could be
0: something to jump into on another show, just the transition from 7s to 15s. We will, well, in particular, down in Houston, right? We saw Marty Yosefo get his first run out with the Seawolves. Um, in Houston, they had a little bit of a hybrid session Down there against the Jackals So we haven't had a really good chance actually, I actually don't think Danny Barrett's down there yet uh, I think he's expecting a child So he's hanging out with, uh, with the beautiful bride To wait for their baby to come along Before he heads to Houston But uh, yeah, that, that's actually going to be a fun thing to watch To see how that transition goes But speaking of transitions We're going to be a transition-heavy show, Pete, I think Let's, uh, let's jump over Let's go and bring in the big dog. You had a chance to sit down with him, George Killerbrew. It's it's been it feels like it's been longer than two years, but it is pretty much two years since he signed on the dotted line and joined Major League Rugby, and it's been a good two years. You've thanked United Airlines, but let's thank American Airlines as well, who are proud sponsors of the league. Nice one, Pete. Yeah, I wonder who'll be the professor next week when they find this one out. <laughs> but let's bring him in, George Killerbrew, the commissioner of Major League Rugby. Well, George,
1: thank you so much for joining MLR Kickoff.
2: Yes, sir, Pete. Always a pleasure. What's going on?
1: Well, we're here to talk about the lost season, the 2020 season, which was a bit of a roller coaster. You just came on as commissioner and the COVID pandemic hit. Can you talk a little bit about what those first few weeks of the season were and then kind of what led to the cancellation for the rest of it?
2: Yeah, most people want to talk about last season, and you guys want to talk about the last <laughs> You were trying to make progress here, but I, I'm happy to, to play ball with you. So, sure, um, you know, if, as we hearken back to 2020, you know, things, the news started to break about this outbreak called COVID. We, we were in week five, if you recall, uh, sailing along pretty well. Um, and then, you know, really, uh, I, I was I was very fortunate to be able to get the intel that the NBA has just through my contacts there. And so I was getting intel from other different sources. But when I went to people like the head trainer at the Mavericks and Mark Cuban weighed in for me and I said, here's what we're here's what we're thinking about doing. We're thinking about hitting pause after week five. What do you think? And they all said the intel we're getting says you're making the right decision.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it was it, it's funny to think that um, that was two years ago, in some ways it feels like last year, in other ways it feels like five years ago. Um, That's what COVID has done. But I think, you know, one of the interesting things that we would like to kind of dive into is that, you know, you have this cancellation, but the the league is so young, there there was concerns that the league might go away, right? So how did you keep the focus of both the league office and the teams during that time when um, there wasn't any rugby?
2: Well, honestly, we, we turned it into a positive that would benefit us. And and really how we did that, we did it in two – in a lot of ways, but two very particular ways. One, um, our board of directors, our board of governors, and our owners voted to pay the players as if we played an entire season. You know, so so paying them as if we would gotten all the way through, you know, the finals. And that had really huge effects um, – especially on some of the international players that had taken a risk and come over here to see what MLR was all about. And they were able to kind of go back to their home country and tell the the guys they played with through their career that they were treated properly, you know, by major league rugby. Um, and that was a really watershed moment for us because uh, we got a lot of feedback from a lot of people saying, wow, you guys really did the right thing by taking care of these players and, And then which led into really the second benefit. And the second benefit was we literally had a year from the day we shut down to the day we reopened to work on the business of rugby. Um, And this league had never had that kind of time to spend the time working on grassroots rugby, ticket sales, sponsorship. And I understand we are under kind of this umbrella of COVID, which did make it easy, but it gave our teams and our league office literally a year to prepare for the the upcoming season, which was very needed in our case. And, you know, I read all the same kind of message boards that you did, Pete, about people wondering whether we were going to make it. And that was really never part of the discussion. Um, You know, 80% of our league budget goes to our players. It goes to our players' salaries, it goes to their insurance, it goes to their their living accommodations and, and everything. So that, that's where the real money in this league is and where it goes. So, you know, we, we feel pretty good, or we felt pretty good back then that given a year to get ready for last season, that we would use the time wisely and we'd come back stronger.
1: So, so let's talk a little bit about, like, the the business of the league, because, like you said, you came back stronger. We. Like the league came back with american airlines guaranteed rate and geico these are household names as league sponsors coming out of a canceled season was it easy to get those guys on board after 2020 or was there an eagerness to be involved in something that was so new and exciting
2: yeah nothing's easy um as you guys <laughs> know <laughs> i wish i had a great example of something that was easy um, no you know i i think it's, it's a combination of things like i think that you know, prior to that, we had never had a cash-paying sponsor in this league. You know, right. we, were able, we were able to, you know, do some some VIK deals, and we were important. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, but we were never going to survive and thrive until we started doing business with the biggest names and biggest brands in sports. And you know, it really started with American Airlines. They're a company that we knew very well being based here in Dallas where I'm based and I had a a pretty long history with them. Our chief commercial officer had a long history with them and we kind of knew what they were about and what's what's in their DNA and what's important to them. And we knew what we were about and what's important to us. We were able to, you know, come to a, a relationship that was really more than just a traditional sponsorship. And then when we announced that, it was kind of the domino effect. Some of these other fortune 500 brands that we were talking to like the two aforementioned, you know, guaranteed rate and Geico, they very quickly thereafter joined as well. So, you know, it, it was a, the beginning of a pathway that got even better, you know, last season where we ended the season with 10 cash paying sponsors. And, uh, you know, are we getting, you know, this type of revenue from those that we really want? Ultimately, no, but you have to start somewhere, right? And right. you're able to do, Some really important deals with some really important companies. And we just, our messaging was very simple. It's like, jump on with us, grow with us, and let us prove to you that we are a good entity to be involved with. And then over time, we hope we can raise your investment in what we're doing. And that's exactly what occurred. So there were two big things that were in this
1: like never ending off season of 2020 that were launched by the league. So so one was like really exciting and it was the uh, um, MLR Collegiate Draft. And then the second one, and this this is this goes to your comment about no one having time, but suddenly there was time for the teams to really invest in the grassroots and the league um, uh, launch their grassroots development initiatives. Can you talk about both of those and, and how important they will be as foundations of the league moving forward?
2: Yes, absolutely. You know, um, the glaring hole when I first got here was there was no pathway or the completion of the pathway from youth to academy to collegiate to professional. We were missing that collegiate draft, that that, that pathway to join MLR um, if you indeed choose. So um, and, and that was already on the drawing board when I got here. It just wasn't in existence. And, you know, I, I just wanted to make sure that our rugby experts were able to say to me that if we have a collegiate draft and we make 24 selections which would be two rounds of 12 selections that we'll have more than 24 athletes register for our draft you know i just i wanted to make sure that you know we weren't kidding ourselves and i was assured that in the collegiate game we were very healthy um and we would have way more than 24 registers so i said let's do it obviously we weren't doing it in the best Uh, kind of way because of COVID. We weren't able to do it like the NFL does it or the NBA, which is very dramatic and people are crying and moms are hugging their sons and announcers are crying and commissioners are getting booed. And, you know, the the traditional fun of a collegiate draft, but we had over 400 collegiate senior rugby players register for our inaugural inaugural draft. And we made those 24 selections. It'll be uh, a monumental thing to look back on, A bunch of years from now, when when we uttered the phrase, you know, with the first selection in the inaugural Major League Rugby Collegiate Draft, the Dallas Jackals select Connor Mooneyham with the number one pick. You know, and that's
1: yeah. And and it's funny because we've spoken to Connor on the show, and he's talked about how like he, he was crying and dancing and hugging his family. It was just happening at home. And I think that, like, it, it was obviously a very big impactful moment for him. And I think it has been. And, and, and I think there were questions from the community, George, about the draft and whether it was too early. But I think, you know, here we are in, in, in 2022. And I think everyone sees it as something to look forward to in the offseason, which I think is, is really what we want as fans.
2: Well, no, you're exactly right. And we all know the drama that that North America loves around the draft process. I mean, it's just it's really must be TV, whether you're necessarily a fan of that sport. it, It really doesn't matter because you're watching, you know, the culmination of 18 to 20 years of hard, hard work by an individual athlete come to fruition on the biggest stage. You know, whether it be the MLR stage or the NFL stage, it really doesn't matter because that drama and that hard work and that moment um, is really a powerful moment for sports fans. And it's really a powerful moment for the athletes. They deserve that stage. And we completed the pathway from youth to academy to confront, to collegiate. To professional and so it was it was really important really impactful i know we're not here to talk about year two of the draft we did it even a little bit better and then next year it's gonna get i think we went like c plus to maybe a b you know we're we're shooting you know a minus for for year three if not higher so we're we're looking for
1: what i would say in year two is that you know you could see circulating on social media mock drafts like people were coming up with mock drafts in year two. Like that's, like like the engagement is, is, is just going to grow. And you've talked about this concept of a pathway. And the other thing in the off season in 2020 was this grassroots initiative. All of a sudden, teams finally had the resources, both players, right, that were still there and coaches where they could really go out and engage in their community. Can you talk about how the league incented the teams to do that and why that was important?
2: Yeah, I mean, time was the essence, because if you look back at the way it used to be, was, you know, we would finish sometime around July the 1st. Well, that's too late to start going, you know, in, right. in local communities to the rec centers and, and, and all these other entities that have, have bro- you know, broken for the summer. So and we had the time, as we talked about, we had a year to really work on these things which are things that our teams want to do on the grassroots level. That's the most fun part about this game is to get out and teach right. the game. But we, we, we put a little kind of cherry on top of that by incentivizing the teams that we were going to, we're going to rate you, uh, which we do with our teams on in a lot of different um, methods, but we're going to rate you and rank you on how you did in these efforts. And if you did really well, you're going to be able to earn extra salary cap, um, you know, which is what everyone wants. And so we were able to throw that carrot on top, um, and everyone took as much advantage as they could. But it was a bit, a bit unfair too, because in certain parts of the country, where you were really hard close, right, California and New York, and states like that, you know, that's they were shut down. Places like Texas, they were like, oh, maybe we'll allow certain things. We, we had to, we had to take all things into consideration. All the teams want to do this. It's not like we have to put this incentive over the top, but a little healthy competition never hurts anyone, um, and that really took this to another level. And and you know our grassroots development initiatives will be something that we continue on uh, because it's really at the core of what we're doing. We've got to grow the amount of people playing this sport in North America.
1: Yeah, and I think that's important. We have to grow the number of people that play because the more people play, the more fans there are, right? And and the grassroots initiatives get parents involved. It's, it's just a great marketing opportunity. It's great the teams will be able to do that. All right, so enough of the ancient history of 2020. Let's talk about the relatively recent history of 2021. Coming into that season, right, we were still in the pandemic. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about the decision that Toronto made where they realized they weren't going to be able to play? I mean, did you expect them to say, hey, we're going to come and live south of the border for like five months? Like, talk a little bit about their, their decision in 2021.
2: Yeah, there, there are a lot of stories similar to that, but that one is really at the top. You know, the, the word I used a lot was heroic. I thought it was a heroic decision for them to pack up their entire rugby operation, players, staff, trainers, everybody, and leave their country... And, and come into the United States. And, and luckily, Atlanta uh, was a willing host and, and, to, and to share their facility and, and to try to make a go of it. I would have fully um, respected had they called and said, you know, I think it's just in our best interest to sit this year out. And that, that's totally understandable because, you know, not to have any home games or, I mean, it's just we were asking a lot for the Toronto Arrows to compete, but they did. Um, And it was a rough go. And we had other teams that had rough goes of it that had to leave their state to to try to get the competition in. Uh, But, you know, it kind of goes to the DNA of these teams and these owners in this sport. You know, they were not going to be deterred. The easy way out would have been, hey, let's take a step back and we'll rejoin, you know, once the pandemic lifts. um, That would have been an easy decision and understandable in certain cases. But, you know, Toronto's decision to do what they did Uh, was heroic i don't think there's a i don't think that's overstating that that word um and you know they they did the best they could under a tough circumstance and luckily uh we feel like they're going to be fully operational as we enter this this coming season
1: yeah i mean i remember george uh we we talked to you um in Last year, right before the season started, you say, hey, we want to be 99-0. and 0. And then we talked to you at the final and you said, hey, we were 99-0, right? And that takes a lot of commitment from the league, from all the owners and from the players to make that work. I think there was one game that was moved one day, I think, in all of that. And, and, and that may be a, a record for a professional league in the U.S. I'm not sure that anyone else... Maybe the teams that went in bubbles, right, in, in one location, were able to pull that off. So, so that was remarkable, and you know, the the league has survived. I mean, I think that that was a genuine concern, at least for those of us on the outside. So, can you talk a little bit about what you're looking forward to? And I know you're, you know, we've done the ancient history, we've done the recent history. Let's do the present. What's really exciting for you in the upcoming season?
2: Well, I mean, anytime. You're a part of a challenger league and you know you're entering year five now you know which is really hard to believe and, and you're able to tell the growth story that you know the pioneers that started this league we call them the original seven you know five years ago you know it went from seven to nine teams to 12 teams in the competition last year to a 13th team you know coming in this year and you know when you look at kind of the history of professional sports you know that in alone is, is a really amazing thing, and that that's the, the credit goes to this these ownership groups because, you know, it's been tough, especially the last couple of years, and, you know, not only have we survived, we've thrived, as far as our numbers, and so you know, looking forward, you know, having a 13 team is exciting, um, having the buzz around a possible World Cup in, in 2031 coming to the United States and North America is is a really good north star. For us to look at, you know, as we enter this this year, if we were, if you think about it, if we were to add one or two teams on this pathway to a 2031 World Cup in our country, you know, we'd be a 32 team league or so when the World Cup hits the American shores. And so, you know, there's so much to be positive about. um, And I really admire the work the teams have done. Um, We've really tried to focus on not only being a great rugby product, but being a great entertainment product. And then that means you have to have something for everyone. You know, you can't just have great rugby and call it a day. You have to be a great entertainment option in your city. And we spent a lot of time with that. We did. We brought all the leagues, salespeople and marketing people to Dallas. We had over 50 bodies here on a a two-day retreat recently talking about just the fundamentals of running a sports franchise from ticket sales to local sponsorship sales, to local marketing, to local broadcast agreements, to community relation activities in your market and how to be great at it, you know, because it really is the combination of all that that's going to really take this league to another level. So I'm excited to see the progress we've made there at our team level as we kick it off here very soon next couple weeks um and having a full slate of teams and and a a really robust broadcast agreement that we're going to be announcing here shortly with with one very dialed in partner uh rather than sharing it as we've done in the past um the the third year of the rugby network is is, is the next generation i should say we've been working on the rugby network for three years but the you know the, the progress we made there from you know having a goal of 25,000 subscribers in year one and really eclipsing way north of 50 by the time we were done um, it's, it's really it's really fun to see kind of the momentum that we're carrying into this season
1: well um, George it sounds like those of us that can head out to um, a rugby game this year are going to be getting a great a great game. Um, which I think M L R has always delivered every year. It's always been exciting rugby, but also a great experience. And we hope um, you know, the uh, the people that are watching or listening that are new to rugby head on out. And George, thank you so much for um, your continued leadership of the league, and thank you so much for your time today.
2: No problem, Pete. Good to
0: see you. There you go, Pete. And when we talked about American Airlines, you know, kind of being uh, you know the the segue to other companies getting on ten cash paying sponsors coming into the league for 2022, definitely trending in the direction that we want it to be trending in terms of the business side of operations for, for MLR.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think George and his team has really you know, obviously used their connections um, to be able to um, build some of that base, but what we really need is we need to grow the, n- the number of eyeballs that are watching MLR, right? So the more eyeballs that watch MLR, the more um, a sponsor will pay but getting them in in the door early and even you know getting even if it's a small amount of cash that can grow as the league grows so i think i think they've done um they've really done a great job and i i loved hearing dan about the uh, sharing of best practice that he did on the marketing sales and operation side um where the league brought together 50 people from all the teams and talked about you know how do you run these programs really well these clubs how do you share best practice i think really important how do you make the experience of the fan beyond the game right i think that's one of the things we're trying to do here with mlr kickoff now is we're trying to make the game more accessible we want it to be something that people want to come to and not be intimidated because the game can be a little complex it can be a little bit difficult but if the experience is fun and we think they get you know we just think the game is fun the experience fun is the game is fun. You don't have to understand everything to want to come yeah, Don't back.
0: forget Deputy Commissioner Bill Gorham worked for the Houston Astros. If there's any organization that's good at stealing best practices or signs, it's the Astros. <laughs> so we have a good one in there, and Bill. Just kidding, Bill. I know he's a big fan of the show. I love you, buddy. He's
1: like, he's like in a, like in like there's George, but Bill's like in, like, you want to talk about me losing my job because American Airlines? Like, now Bill's in gonna our, get in stack. In yeah, he's in our management stack here, Dan. Yeah. Come on. Love don't, that. Don't, like, don't, <laughs> you know, piss off the boss's boss's boss or whatever Bill is.
0: I had, had, a, like I had a great time at the the final last year with Bill. We went to the airport together, and then I spoke to uh, James Patterson the next day. He goes, I'm just having breakfast with Bill Goran. I'm like, no, you're not. I went to the airport with him last night at, like, midnight, and uh, sure enough, Bill's flight got canceled and went back. <laughs> okay. And, I said, did you actually have a flight? And he goes, no, I just enjoy hanging out with you, Dan. So I thought I'd catch the shuttle all the way to LAX and caught a cab back to the hotel, which is not true. His flight did get cancelled, but he made me feel really good about myself. (laughs) Speaking of feeling good about myself, there is one (laughs) flight that has always made me feel good about myself. And I am so happy that we got to talk to him early in the season here. Let's bring him into the show now. It's the big bad number six, seven, eight, four, or five, depending on what week it is, the Player of the Year 2019 2019 MLR Champion, Brad Tucker. Well, Christmas is December 25th, but consider this a late present for me, folks. Uh, Christmas has come in January for me, Brad Tucker, wrapped in a package under the tree for the Panther Dan Power. Mr. Tucker, it's been too long, buddy. How are you doing?
3: Mr. Panther, good to hear from you. It's been a while. I hope you and the family had a great Christmas and, uh, and a trucking well. You're looking healthy. I'd love to see it.
0: Thanks, buddy. Yeah, fighting fit, uh, ready to go. Well, Let's let's talk a little family first because big news coming out of New York. Little big Tucker is coming over now. The, the little but bigger William Tucker makes his way to New York. Talk yeah, us a little through well that. With obviously, about. some influence there. You, you've talked him into it or he just wanted to avoid you by going even further away to the East Coast from the West Coast?
3: Nah, little Will's come over, obviously. Um, I think he's just looking for a challenge. Um, had a Mitre 10 Cup and whatnot, and he's battled a few injury problems, and, you know, it was unfortunate not to get a, a super crack, and then was looking for some footy, and, and thankfully, you know, New York came calling, and he's fizzed to get over here and give it a crack, mind you, he, he reckons it's pretty cold over there in New York, something we're not quite used to in New Zealand.
0: Yeah, you were saying off-air before we started that, if he thought he cried a lot in the backyard when you were kids, wait until you play New York this year, I'm going to show him the meaning of pain uh, and who the real talent in the Tucker family is. Uh, Is that something you feel that you can actually execute on now, considering how fragile your body's been for the last two years?
3: Well, I think there's no doubt that uh, that mum got all the talent in the family, but, uh, you know, we do what we can. Uh, Hopefully, Will keeps his mouth shut. You know, I've been rumoured to have a bit of a lippy mouth on me, but, you know, as long as he keeps that to himself, we'll be all right. <laughs> uh, mate, beautiful stuff. And obviously,
0: all in, Jess, it's great to have your brother over here. You've a great family. It's a Tucker family. We're excited to see you two get to bump heads this year. But let's go back. Let's talk a little history and your history in MLR. It's a pretty decorated one. You came over in 2019, year two, Seattle, defending champions going into that year. And I know, obviously, as a new player to a franchise, there's always pressure to perform, but. More so for you coming into the defending champs. What do you remember about that preseason in 19 and stepping into MLR in Seattle for the first
3: time? I think um, obviously coming in, it's always a big thing coming in when a team's just won something. Uh, There's huge expectation for the team to come in and win, especially coming in as a foreign player. The league was very fresh. Uh, there was a number of us that came in uh, and that made it a lot easier. The team did a good job. We we all stayed together and got to learn America, got to learn Seattle together and sort of and grow that way. And I think that helped a lot of us j J.P. Smith. Uh, back then we had Stefan Corsia and all the Canadian guys. were We were all staying in one big place and it helped us grow as a unit. And thankfully we had a you know, strong season. A lot of those guys, we played a lot of minutes together and, you know, the team already had a great culture and it meant that we could form a culture around each other and then add that to the group. And I think, you know, it helped the team. Well, I hope we helped the team, uh, obviously achieve what, what the team set out to do. Um, coming out of New Zealand, it was obviously, I'd be lying if it wasn't a big change to, to what we were, what I'd been used to, but, uh, you know, a lot's changed in that time, but it was definitely, uh, and the team had, you know, issues with visas and new coaches coming over. So there was a lot of challenges in that first year, but I think it really brought the team together. And, and obviously the results speak to themselves in the end.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the final. Let's talk about the, actually the whole run in, into the, the offseason there. You played Toronto at home in the semifinal. Tight game. Always felt like you guys were in control. Is it always, and you've played in a lot of big games, so for, for people new to rugby, there's always that risk of looking a game ahead, and I think everyone's always dealt with it in their career. Do you remember much leading to that week in Toronto? A dangerous team, you had them at home, but there was always that eye, hey, we're going back to the, the big dance here in San Diego again.
3: I think uh, we thankfully actually got our pants pulled down by Toronto and Toronto that season. Um, we travelled up there. Yeah. And, and we got absolutely spanked. So, And we also had uh, had drawn with, or drawn with Utah the week before, I think, or two weeks earlier. So we were actually in a, not a rut, but we weren't playing our best footy and we knew Toronto was going to be a massive test. Um, so we, we sort of, you know, I guess everyone says, no, well, the semi was our final that day. We knew that if we played like we did against Toronto, again, we'd get spanked. Um, I think I'm remembering correctly. The boys came out firing and then we we showed up okay. on defense to, to, to finish the game off. So, yeah, it was a big week, but definitely, you know, I think we had to settle to score. Toronto was our, was our attitude going into that game.
0: Yeah, I do remember that last round against Utah with the draw. I I almost felt as though Utah had kind of exposed a few chinks in the Seattle armor with the kicking game. Obviously, Matt Turner was was in his prime back then at fullback, but not a strong kicker of the ball. Great ball runner, creative player. Utah kicked to the corners really effectively and turned that back three around and defended well and put you guys under an immense amount of pressure. But... Yeah, Toronto. I uh, I did forget. That I gave you guys a really tough run up there in Toronto. So let's go final now. San Diego, heavy favorites at home, like heavy favorites. Uh, I think everyone felt that lightning struck year one for Seattle against Glendale wasn't going to strike twice. It took you guys eighty plus minutes to get that lightning back in the bottle, but it happened. What do you remember of that big day?
3: Um, I was I was excited to be honest. Honestly. Personally, I'm always one that uh, I don't dwell on losses, but I always remember losses. And San Diego had tipped us up twice again going into the game. I think that had a great season and it was almost a bit of an underdog mentality that we took in. But, you know, with lots of sports, especially with rugby, it can come down to the last minute and, you know, a few things go your way. And uh, the boys, to, to their credit, we had a lot of help from the guys came off the bench in that game, and we really finished strongly, got ourselves back into the game and saw a situation where anything could happen in the last five minutes. And, you know, it took longer than five minutes and took old uh Excel player legendary goal kicker Brock Stoller to take his head taken off uh, to win us a penalty and kick it in the corner. And we knew we sort of, we backed down wall. <laughs> We backed, our, uh, we backed our kicking game. We backed our ball. Uh, we scored a few tries off lineouts um, in that game and then obviously culminating in the last try, uh, which I guess you know got the job done in the end.
0: Yeah. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Kanye you here. I'm, you're Taylor Swift. I'm Kanye. I'm going to let you have your moment when you can talk us through that try. But I want to rewind just a touch. Joe Peterson kicks a field goal, puts him up. What did you guys say on the way back to halfway? In hindsight, right, sport's an easy game to play in hindsight. It was probably the wrong call to kick a field goal. Territory, and keep the pressure down that end of the field. You know, they'd probably hold on and win that game. He kicks it. But what do you guys say on the way back to halfway?
3: Um, Look, mate, I started... I started celebrating when he kicked that field goal because we had a chance. Uh, I knew we had a, a game plan off kickoffs to, to plug it deep and put them under pressure, and whether that be from a turnover or them kicking it, uh, which they ended up kicking. But for me, it was like, fire the lads up. We've got a chance here, three big minutes or two big minutes, whatever it was. We just got to score try to win the game. So I actually... Uh, poor old skip ricky i don't know what he was saying but i was screaming at everyone that we were on here lads so that was a lot of the chat and i think you know guys started saying that and the energy immediately just picked up as we jogged back to halfway um everyone read after that kickoff and you know they were like well obviously we should get get, get out of our own 22 and uh, again as i said back the line out and and hopefully something good happens after that <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't put it up, up there with Matt Dunning's field goal uh, for the Waratahs down by four and kicking the field goal, but you could see the difference. Normally in a big game, moment like that, San Diego was celebrating, they were very placid after that field goal. There wasn't a lot of like The crowd went nuts, but San Diego, the Legion, they were kind of a little like, Ooh, what was that the right thing to do? And All right, now we fast forward. Brock Stoller gets decapitated. You get a penalty, go to the corner. What's the line out call? As I hope you've changed the call so you're not getting the away for the twenty twenty two season. What's the line out call? What's the communication like between who was it was uh, was Kutsi still on then at hooker?
3: No, uh, Dan no. Treeweiler had come on. Treeweiler,
0: that's up. right. Yep, yep. So what's the chat you the pack? Uh was Rick you were doing line outs or was Rickart doing line outs that
3: day? Uh Rick was calling line outs, but I think you know at that stage, uh well we were throwing them, most of them was going to him or me. Yeah. So it wasn't rocket science, but we knew Dan yeah. had a good seed. We knew Dan had a good seed and we knew Diego would probably try and defend them all. So uh, Rick stuck one up on himself. Uh, funnily enough, I was actually his backlifter and kind of done my job too well. Cause I got spat out of that mall pretty quickly <laughs> and um, latched back on, on the end. And uh, you know, uh, yeah, managed to get the ball in my hands and the, backs came flying in I had to make sure Shalom Sunil didn't get his hands on it because he probably would have dropped it or something <laughs> um uh, so I was it was a bit of panic stations for me when I saw them coming in ahead of me because I fell over and got up and ran around and next minute I see Shalom near the ball and I was like oh he doesn't know what to do in there um so yeah just made sure I latched on and got it in my hands and then uh put the head down and charged the legs and the boys did the rest. Lomie would be
0: the only player who could miss a tackle while he actually has the ball too. That's how bad his defence was.
3: <laughs> well, he loved a little shoulder charge, but you know, if you run straight at him, he'll get you. But <laughs>
0: yeah, ladder. So what? What's the lineout call? What's the call?
3: Just well, a middle liner. I couldn't even tell you what the calls were. From you don't 2019- even remember they changed. They've evolved that much. You know how it's like you'd sit there and it was uh,
0: the great the Chiefs win the Super Bowl over the 49ers, Tyree Hill, the downhill player. It's Wasp. Like, that's the call. And they kind of talk to her, hey, we called Wasp. And they're like, you sure you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to run it. Like, not that sort of moment, that Hollywood kind of moment where we're like, yeah, remember any given Sunday? Where he's like, yeah, I do. And he's Great like, Comanche?
3: Oh, our sort of, we knew we were mauling. So we. I guess it was just a maul call. I don't even remember what that was then stones maybe. Up,
0: we can just add it stones there it is
3: i think it might have been stones for rolling stones um yeah so get the, get the roll on and then uh was it ricky you know he speaks in african so uh i just remember the line outs week to week to make sure i don't forget anything or hear the wrong words so it's all right
0: <laughs> i had a i had a south african math teacher in the eighth grade and, and i couldn't understand him the whole year i ended up with a c in math and i Dad finally met him at the parent-teacher interview and he goes, I actually don't hold you responsible. I didn't understand a word he said that the whole 40 minutes. So okay, I feel your pain with Rick, uh, Ricky there as well. All right, now the fun part. Full-time whistle goes, pandemonium, right? Everything's fun. Give me two hours, though, after the whistle. You've gone, changed, showered, eaten, night out after a championship win. How was it?
3: Yeah. Um, probably just as you can imagine. Just uh I don't know where Moe came from somehow there was Moe on the field, so I just remember being drenched in that and sticky as hell. Uh, and then obviously buffing what was ever whatever was left in that bottle with JP and then went into the shed and uh, actually funnily enough, Dan Trewi is a bit of a character and he he'd bought some awful bottle of whiskey with him so that's always floating around the changing room um it's fair to, it's fair to say is the shackles got broken pretty quickly mate and the boys were just full, full bore ahead um we got back to the hotel and i don't think we were very welcome there in a hurry so we just went to some <laughs> bar in san diego <laughs> i do remember uh we stopped and bought uh got some big stogies though so we thought we were pretty cool and we were just uh sitting outside having a beer with a, the old michael jordan cigar in hand so it wasn't bad <laughs> joe burrow before joe
0: burrows i love it i love it all yeah. right little little did we know the dark clouds were forming in the background, you know, COVID 2020 was coming. We, we have this crescendo of 2019, a great championship, momentum comes in, we get a new commissioner and George Gillibrew, everything's kind of pushing the right direction, then bam, shut it down. 2020 was not a great start for you guys. Um, there was There was some coaching issues, you said, visa issues. The league sort of took a, a leap in terms of players coming in. Seattle was pretty consistent with their roster. How did you handle that personally in terms of going into 2020 and then the shutdown, COVID, everything? For a rugby player, you know, it's probably once in a lifetime uh, situation to be stuck in and for you in particular in another country.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, firstly, from a team side of things, we did. We did have a number of new guys come in. We played two, three preseason games, and you know it felt like all of our new foreigners fell over in the first week. It was really unfortunate timing. Uh, big Ross Neal moved over, and uh, I think he broke his hand. And we we got a, another winger and a fullback, and they both got injured. And one minute you've gone from you know having this team that everyone's excited about to, to a lot of injuries and a lot of guys that probably hadn't had a lot of time in during the pre-season because the foreigners come in late. Um, so it was very challenging from a rugby point of view. But I don't think we were ever, we were confident that things were going to turn around that season. then obviously stuff got shot, shut down and it all, as you know, escalated pretty quickly. Um, I sort of had a, well, New Zealand Pretty quickly, put up some stuff on their borders, and um, I was like, "Well, you know, down the line here, there's a, you know, if I can play some consistent rugby, there's an opportunity to represent the Eagles and potentially play at a Rugby World Cup." And you know, I had to weigh that choice up from on whether I would go home because if you leave the country for too long, uh, then your eligibility laws reset. So I sort of took a bit of a gamble and stayed around. Um. obviously then it was all well, kept getting worse and worse the next minute it's three grand to get into New Zealand and you can't get MIQ so I actually still haven't been home so it's been a long time but for me um, it was definitely a big learning process I think it was the first time in my whole life I'd never had competitive sport ever I think it was probably the same for a lot of people uh, and as a result you know, I guess you ended up doing quite a lot of soul searching because there was nothing, you couldn't go and do anything. You guys know what it was like. It was just, it was crazy. And Washington was particularly strict. I ended up, uh, I bought a, a car racing seat and a steering wheel and started uh, online sim racing to keep some competition flowing in my life. And that actually helped a lot, kept me busy. So I'm, unfortunately, I'm not Lewis Hamilton, but I put my best foot forward. <laughs> <laughs> um and then what, we were lucky uh, to get some rugby in the later half of the year, which was, was real exciting and, and fun trip to, to Bermuda with those guys and get the legs pumping again. But apart from that, it was a tough year. It was a hard year to train and do anything in general. And I think, you know, personally, I look back and after my last season, um, I'm just was like, man, needed to think of more ways outside the box to, to stay conditioned and, in a situation like that. Cause I guess that was probably one of the biggest challenges.
0: Yeah. It was, it was weird. There was a lot of players that went through, uh, they got a taste of retirement, right? Like, like I said, competitive sport was gone and some players like this is actually quite nice. And they never came back and they said, yeah, I'm okay with this. Others freaked out and they're like, I'm not ready to retire, hang it up. And they came back when they'd said they've done, everyone's looking at Shalom again here, just won't retire. Um, but you know, you come through it. Let's let's talk twenty twenty one. It was a bit. It was a mixed year for you guys. And again, the injury bug struck up there uh, for yourself in particular. You've come off player of the year twenty nineteen, abbreviated season twenty twenty. You're chomping at the bit twenty twenty one to get Seattle back, you know, to where their fans want them in in the playoffs and, and a top team. And then the injury bug just strikes you down. How was that, and dealing with that throughout the year?
3: Um. Mate, it was real challenging. Obviously, on a personal front, it started real early. And I, as you just alluded to, obviously coming with huge expectations and goals for the season, um, you know, trying to put 2020 out of our head and build on what we'd been doing in 2019. And, and the small taste of 2020 that we had, and just add to it, um, you know, I was hurt before the season even started, which was just – tough uh and and a lot of guys fell over again really early in the season and got us off to a challenging start um you know there's changes in coaching staff changes in in the management staff throughout the season but you know as you said by the end of the season with Clarke on board uh you know some things moved around it was really starting we finished really strongly and i think you know if you look back on a season like that, you've got, to, you've got to find the positives and review negatives. So, you know, that's what the team's done. That's what we've all done as players. And you know, I think we learned a lot. And as anyone that watched the league saw, the league came a long way in 2021. Um, a lot of new teams looking really good. You know, the, gone is the day where a new team comes in and struggles in the professional sports league, I think we're young enough that teams are coming in from day one expecting to win matches. And as you saw with with LA in the end there, but the teams, anyone you played, you knew you're going to be in for a fight. And I think that's the biggest thing that's changed around the league is, you know, everyone was normally pretty physical, but you know, now there's physical niggly and they're playing expansive rugby on top of that. So, you know, 2021 was a tough year for us, but as I said, there were injuries. Injuries are unavoidable in a contact sport. We all know that. So you got to kind of kind of hold your breath, cross the fingers that they don't um, strike all at the same time like they had been. But uh, yeah, it was. The boys are excited for this year. Let's, let's let's put it that way. We've had a great preseason. Um, one more game to go, and then and then we're into it. She's all right on top of our heads. All of a sudden, yeah, it was quick. How about poor old Ross Neal? You
0: talk about injuries in a contact sport, non contact sports, he gets injured as well. So, tough run there for the big Englishman. Hopefully, he gets back in firing fit this year, huh? Big Ross.
3: Oh, good. good Funnily enough, he's just had his nose straightened out. Yeah. (laughs) That's
0: just from experience, the dumbest thing you could do while he's still playing. Never get, you know, it's it's, uh, almost a, a bullseye to get it broken again within six weeks of getting it straightened. So, I fingers crossed for Ross that he doesn't break his nose again, but yeah.
1: Hey, I'm,
3: look at the state kidding. of this thing, mate. I'm not getting that fixed, I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
0: it, looks, it looks like one of those windy uh, South New Zealand roads there, a little bit to the left, a little to the
3: right. and Oh, and just single lane down. down each side, make sure you watch where you're going.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, give me three three players to watch for not named Brad Tucker for Seattle this year. Seawolves fans, who should they be watching this year? Get excited,
3: well, we got some exciting new names, so I'm going to go no further. We got uh, Duncan Matthews coming in from from South Africa, fullback. Played on the weekend, looked um, looked sharp. Uh, we've got Lopetti in the midfield. Uh, yeah, made his Eagles like a, debut. Looks like a winner, yeah. of that kid. Yep he he's a he's a class human, all round hard worker, and you know I think he's got a lot of elements to his game that people should get excited about, especially how young he is. Runs hard. He's got great feet. Um, you know, you can't ask for much more from a midfielder than that. Suppose I should chuck a forward in there. Um, I'll chuck my old mate. I'll say, obviously he's a bit of an easy one, but, um, but big rips looking real good. Um, scored a great try in the, in the game on the weekend. I think he, uh, was meant to just be setting us up for a kick and sold a thumb in away, went 80 meters to galloping down the track as he does, um, He's, he's had a big off season. I think, you know, he got a taste of Eagles rugby last year. Um, you know, it's always a tough season for a guy, you know, you're leading the team that's not going so well. But I think, you know, it's, it's grown him as a captain and, and as a player as well. And look, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do this year. I think he's going to have another big season and, and really lead from the front. How's his English? Is starting to use
0: the, the lockdown to brush up on that a bit?
3: Yeah, well, I don't know. I I, I think sometimes he just uh, he just puts his accent on a bit stronger on purpose. You know, he's been living here for ages, so um, you know he's he's married or he's engaged at least. And uh, you know, Kristen speaks great speaks great English, so Big Rick I think just puts it on because all the South African yeah. boys are at training.
0: Give us <laughs> Give us your best Rickard Hadding impersonation.
3: Oh, there's one you've not seen this to him.
0: <laughs> he, he doesn't know he, uh, how, he doesn't know how to log into the rugby network you're safe
3: <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh no he he loves coming up to a line out and uh you know obviously everyone's listening for the calls but ricky uh ricky has this thing where if he's going to call something a little bit complicated he's a lesson lesson and he always just gives you a big loud listen listen like a little bit like that i can't do him any justice that was but that was, that we, was pretty we, good yeah, well, that's pretty much how he talks. We love, uh, we love winding him up about that because he says it all the time without noticing. <laughs> it's his little, his little tick. Yeah, I think he's normally talking to me. I don't know why, but you know, probably off with the fairies. Yeah, that's where we're going now, buddy. We're going off with the fairies because
0: we've got to wrap it up. I could do this for four that's hours, right. but I miss you.
3: <laughs> I always miss you, buddy. We're still recording, <laughs> just so you know, but well, hey, make sure, uh make sure if you're gonna get Will on that you uh you know, just surprise him with me popping up to uh throw some curveballs at him.
0: Yeah, we can do that. I think I think like the Battle of the Brothers, maybe we'll look at that uh when you guys play New York. That sounds good. Yeah, we'll get get to the bottom. Actually we should get your mum on that week as well. Get no, you right don't here. want to
3: hear it. The amount of the amount of be nice to your brother tips that I'll get that week will just be ridiculous.
0: <laughs> is this the first time you guys have played each other?
3: It is for Will and I. Um, I've played with Will when he just came into. I was we both played a bit of club rugby together, and then uh, James and I have played each other in in my ten a number of times. And the week leading up to it's just pain with mum and dad. They uh they constantly draw back to this one time when Damien McKenzie played Marty, and they had a big spat all day. They were going at each other, and Mum and Dad are just like, "Don't be like that all week," and it just never stops. But I think we both got caught on camera being grubby to each other a couple of times. I just remember coming on, he started, and I came off the bench against him. The first ruck, I just got "Welcome to the show" from an elbow from him, and then. Uh, one of my uncles recorded me, um, you know, the old classic push his face in the dirt but it got yeah, caught on yeah, camera so, uh, classic. Have you ever <laughs> seen the uh, the Brett and Josh Morris one
0: where they have the play fight and referee springs in thinking they're having a for real fist fight? Maybe, yeah, maybe see that, that's te- probably more me and Will.
3: That, that might be me and Will, we get on a bit better. I was always trying to defend Will from James so we'll probably be alright. <laughs> James is
0: the James is the nemesis. We'll get him over eventually, two or three. If you'll be in the league, the Suniula's
3: yeah. two point He's the niggly middle child, you know. Just he's the negative one, always miserable and yeah. and uh, and likes causing crap. <laughs> I'm the middle child. Well, you got me red too. All right, Bradley. No more <laughs> right insults.
0: On, mate excited, mate. 2022, you're going to get back. You're going to be fit. You're going to be in great form. One of the top players in the league. It's always been a pleasure to watch your buddy and hang out with you. Excited to see that growth and hopefully uh, USA uh, Eagles call up not too
3: far uh, away for you as well in the future. Yeah, hopefully, mate. Uh, Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Keep it up.
0: Thank you, Brad Tucker. And Pete, firstly, let me just thank you for stepping aside and letting me handle that interview. <laughs> True friend, you're like, you know what? I'm probably not going to oh, get a like, word in like, any way. I'll say you and Brad.
1: Brad. I did not <laughs> want to get in between you and Brad. That, you know, that's I, I was I was very happy to hand that that one off. But I think, you know, one of the interesting things, yeah, you, know, you talked about being at the final and hanging out with um, with Bill Goran. I got a chance to hang out with Brad Tucker <sighs> at the final last year. And it's such a such a good guy, such a smart guy. Um, you know, he's he's gonna do. You know, he's a great player, but I think he's gonna he's gonna have an impact on this game. I think after he stopped playing, that might be even bigger than his impact as a player. But I love the fact, put down roots in Seattle. Um, you know, a real heart. One of, one of the many people they actually have on that team that you could say is like the heartbeat of the team. But when he's not playing for them, you saw it a little bit last year. When he's not playing, obviously an injury field season when he's not playing that team
0: isn't quite yeah the they do lose a little bit and and you know we had him on the show uh, before the championship game uh, last year and, and he just has a, a great infectious personality and I think he's going to like you said whether it's coaching or whether it's in the media hopefully he sticks around MLR for a, a long time because it's imports like Brad that are actually going to help you know help build the game and the brand of major league rugby here and boy I just love, I just love I can't wait for his brother and him to play in May, we're gonna get, we're gonna try to get the whole Tucker family on the show, the week leading up to that, and see if we can, you know, get some rattle yeah, some of those awesome. skeletons in the closet. But, am am uh, I allowed,
1: or is Brad gonna take my spot and and, and you're gonna bring his brother on? I'm, I'm not sure that I'm gonna be allowed if it's the three of us.
0: It'll be tied like It'll be like the, Bra- the opening to the Brady Bunch, right? They're all the panels, you know, it's three three sons, three daughters, you have, and me. I think we'll have to get his. Uh, is it James, the Super Rugby? Player on, and uh, yeah, the middle parents. brother, yeah, mum and dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I we'll mean, we just jump
1: on one of their Zoom calls, like one of their Zoom catch up call family calls, just like you know, Zoom crash
0: it, yeah, it's just it's the typical, you know, dysfunctional three boys, you know, yeah, what could go wrong, what could go wrong, it's gonna be great, all right, speaking of things going wrong. If they go wrong at this part of the game, you're going to be in trouble. It's the transition. Something's gone wrong. There's a turnover, kick downfield. It's the confusing part of the game, right? It's when we get the clarity in American football of a line of scrimmage, boom, separation. Rugby sometimes can be a mess. Transition, more so than other. You're watching your team. They've got the ball. All of a sudden, they don't have it. Pete, define the transition first for us. Give us a simple explanation.
1: Well, you know, you do a great job of, of using American sports analogies, and I think the transition is most in rugby is most similar to that in basketball, right? So in in basketball, when there's a turnover, there's a moment when the defense isn't set, and you want to maximize that that moment, and that's what's true here. So there's lots of different kinds of transitions, but a transition fundamentally is when the in, is when the possession changes, and when the possession changes, the attack that had the ball, right. They now have to be on defense, but their defensive structure isn't in place. So that means the team that has turned the ball over and now has it has an opportunity. And, you know, there's often like some people talk about three seconds, four seconds. There's an amount of time that you have, which you want to use before the defense builds structure. And Dan, if you remember, we talked about structure and defense, defense lives on structure attack, doesn't need that. And so when that ball is turned over, when you've got that ball, you've got three, four, five seconds where you need to find the space, find where the defense doesn't have their structure built and you need to attack it.
0: All right. MLR, who's the best transition team? I'm a new fan. I don't have a team. Who should I be watching at the transition? Who does it best?
1: Well, I think one transition is the kick. Right. That is a change of possession. Now it's a deliberate change of possession. Right. And so you'll say, we're going to give the ball away when we kick because we're going to gain territory. And probably the team that would be the scariest team to kick to. And I think this I think they're also very good in transition on turnover. So when the, the attack loses point contact, knocks it on, drops it, all of those are different uh, opportunities of transitions. And that is the Utah Warriors. Because what they have is they have some of the outside backs of the wings and fullbacks like Mikey Tao, who are very instinctive. They don't need structure. They don't need, you know, um, a place where they know what to do and everyone knows what to do, the same thing. You need intuitive and instinctive players. And I think the uh, um, Utah Warriors do that very well. I will say that probably in turnover from um, a tackle or, or a ruck or when the Bulls lost in contact – I think like the San Diego have traditionally been one of the best in that turn in, in, in the turnovers. And that's because Joe Peterson, who is their fly half is also a very instinctive player. So what you want is when that turnover happens is you want to move the ball quickly into someone that can see, can recognize space and attack it. I think Joe Peterson does that. Well, let's as us take one of the kicking
0: ones. part of it. I want to talk to you more about the transition at, at a turnover, whether it be a breakdown steal or a knock on what's, what would be some advice you'd give to a young player in terms of what are you looking for to attack off a transition?
1: Yeah. And and, and a pretty good rule of thumb is move the ball twice, right? So the rule of thumb is that when you get the ball, if you're not sure what to do, pass it twice, because at that point where the ball is lost, there will be a lot of defenders, right? So let's say Dan, a ruck happens and there's a turnover ruck around the ruck are a lot of the people that were trying to win the ball and now they're standing there. So the rule of thumb is move the ball twice, and once you've passed that ball twice, you actually have an opportunity to make a decision. So on um, on attack, it's about moving the ball twice. On defense, it's about what we call connection. So what you want to do is you're not set up. You just want to build connections with the teammates around you because when you get three defenders together that are connected, they can defend most things in rugby right and being connected means being aligned in the same pl- like connected verbally close enough to each other that there's no space between you for anyone to run and then moving in the same direction and so it's all about getting connected on defense it's all about moving the ball on, um, on attack
0: so if I'm an attacking player I'm looking for a disconnection or a mismatch in the defensive line right. a player's out man. of position man that's really man have you
1: played this game because that's that's exactly right. Right. So, so, and, and this is true, it's not just in transition. You're always looking for places where the defense is weak. Right. And so where the defense is disconnected um, or, or, or where there's no defenders, that's where you want to go. I will say, Dan, one of the challenges on attack when the ball is transitioned is that the attack doesn't have structure. Now they don't need as much structure, but if a tackle happens, you need support around. You need players to come in and help you win that ball. So there is some risk on the attack that if you don't make the right decision and you don't go where the defense is disconnected, that you might end up turning that
0: ball over again. Now, you were, you were very complimentary, and rightfully so, of Utah. I felt that one of the best transition players was Matt Turner through the first, you know, three, four years of Major League Rugby. So if you want to go back and watch some old games, you know, we had Brad Tucker on tonight, his teammate, Matt Turner. Not a really strong kicker. So whenever there was a turnover, I would always be quick calling games to find where Turner was. And he would do a great job of counting heads, both sides of where the turnover was. He'd look to see if there's a full back and wings had dropped quickly. If they hadn't, then he would call a kick in and then or he would run. And he was very elusive, difficult. And that's where those players seemed to thrive his end transition. Right. Those elusive and- players. And we've already talked about the sevens players, right, that, that are coming into the league. And Matt Turner
1: played um, sevens for England. And sevens players do really well in transition on attack because they're used to having a lot of space and they're used to having um, looking up and exactly, you know, what you said, Dan, they're used to looking up, trying to find that space and then attacking that space. So when you look at someone like Martin Yusefo in Seattle, that's, a, that's someone who can add, to the um, transition attack that Seattle
0: has. So looking to this season, is this something where you think Tom Mitchell for LA will, will thrive? In that very, I mean, very I mean, yeah. good LA where where they've always been a very skillful, obviously well-rounded team. Now you bring in a circuit breaker style player like Tom Mitchell, who, no offense to Matt Turner, is a little younger, has a lot more hair and probably has a little <laughs> bit more spring in the step as well. Uh, is he going to be a guy who's going to – thrive on that transition?
1: So I think so, because I think one of the things that, you know, we talked about moving the ball twice. So when you've got a player like Matt Guido who reads the game so well, and he's one of those players that seems to have time, you know, the turnover happens, you get the ball in hands, and someone like Tom Mitchell that can recognize space is just going to run to the space, and, and Guido's got the skills to get in there. So that's a, that's a great call out there. And I think I, we see with Guido and Mitchell, like a pairing that can really take those um, transitions and turn them into game breakers. Yeah,
0: fun. They were fun to watch last year. I think they've added some more weapons this year in Ben Lasage and now Tom Mitchell as well. So look out, DeMonte Noble. Talk about a great transition player.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, like again, people that can play in some is so hard to one on one, and that's one of the reasons why in transition you want to be connected because you don't want to have those one on one tackles and and you know, um, Dante's just like, he is so hot to tackle one. If there was a connection, he's going to make the break. I mean, you know, I, did LA get better even though they lost Adam Ashley Cooper? I mean, I know we, we're not doing the deep dive stroke, bro, but maybe, maybe.
0: Yeah, potentially you could be right. Well, there it is. Everything you need to know on the transition. You want to you tie it up in a package or that? We feel good here.
1: I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll put a bow on it, Dan. Like, you can't It'll ask die. me to talk and not, and not have me talk. Um, I think the transition is one of the hardest things to do, and it's something that has been getting better at MLR throughout the year. So I think transitions have become more important. I'm sure it's part of the uh, part of the game. I mean, I would argue, um, you know, if we want to talk about young players, coaches, like, what happens when the ball drops in, in a drill down for the coach? The coach blows the whistle, right? But mm. if you want to watch, if you want to practice transitions, when the ball drops, don't blow the whistle, right? You want to give lots of opportunities. So I think transitions are going to be more cool. As deep, better than the league, which they have, then these transition moments will be more important for scoring. And therefore, the teams that are good at transitions, both attack and defense, I think we'll see coming up to the top of the uh, um, competition ladder yeah, at blood, the end of the you
0: remind me of the old DJ alligator song uh, be careful parents so oh, there is an explicit version so make sure you do the uh, edited version but what a great song that was all right that one wraps it up But guess what guess what Pete super brute pickham is back gorgeous Dan I didn't win it but I was the best in this group uh, the professor I mean I can't worked.
1: do any worse right I think I think I was down with Man. the people that weren't playing anymore.
0: Like, like the people that
1: just weren't for doing picks that's where I was. I was making picks, but I was down with the people that weren't doing any picks.
0: I know. We'll have to get the new addition Ryan Ginty involved. He needs a, a creative nickname. So that can be everyone's job this week is to get us uh, for a Ginty nickname that he can put on to his, the, our super brew pool. But that's back up and, and live. We'll make sure we get a, um, a link out or a way to sign up for that. We had good numbers last year. We'll try to build on it again this year. And make sure you hit up the chat box in there. The banter is always pretty good. I'll be pretty responsive in getting back to you unless uh, you beat me and I'm losing. I'm talking to you, scary Larry. You genius. You're gonna get me again this year with all those algorithms. Pete, been a good one. Appreciate it as always. Get some sleep there in the windy city. Uh, again, thanks to our guests tonight, George Killerbrew and Brad Tucker, and the Seattle Seahawks for letting us borrow Brad there. At uh, I know. Season preps are getting pretty tight and getting pretty close. So thanks to Carly and Clarky up there for, for letting us borrow Brad for a little bit. That wraps it up for the Professor, Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, Brian Ginty. I'm Dan Power. This has been the MLR Kickoff.